0: His good clothes were stacked by the side of the field, by the side of the road. He had his work clothes on out in the field. And the, the boy looked at his older friend and said, ha. He, he thought this would be funny, let's hide, let's hide his shoes. So he, when he comes from the field, he won't be able to find them. His expression will be priceless. Uh, the boy laughed. And the older of the two boys thought for a moment and said, ah, The man looks so poor, see his clothes, let's do this instead. Let's hide a silver dollar in each shoe, and then we'll hide in these bushes and see how he reacts to that instead. So the younger companion goes along with the plan, and they place the silver dollar in each shoe and hid behind the bushes. It wasn't long before the farmer came in from the field, tired and worn. He reached down and pulled on a shoe, immediately feeling uh, the money under his foot. And with the coin now between his fingers, he looked around to see who could have put it in his shoe. But no one was there. He held the dollar in his hand and stared at it in disbelief. Confused, he slid his other foot into the other shoe and felt the second coin. This time the man was overwhelmed when he removed the second silver dollar from his shoe. And thinking that he was alone, because these uh, boys had hid so well, he dropped to his knees and offered a verbal prayer that the boys could easily hear from their hiding place. They heard the poor farmer cry tears of relief and gratitude. He spoke of his sick wife and his boys in need of food. He ex- expressed gratitude for this unexpe- ex- unexpected bounty from unknown hands. And after the farmer had gone, after a little while, the boys came out from their hiding place and slowly started their long walk home. They felt good inside, warm, warm changed somehow knowing that the good they had done, despite their uh, intent to prank this farmer, they felt good knowing that what they had done uh, wound up benefiting this farmer in dire straits and a smile uh, crept across their souls. I'll close this morning with one final story. Um, again, about how sometimes a little, a little bit of faith can do great things and sometimes little things at least what we think of as little things, can have great effect. Uh, This is sometimes called the butterfly effect. Uh, Have you heard of this based on the scientific theory that something as small as uh, the flutter of a butterfly wings across the world can affect a tornado on the other side uh, of the globe? Little things make big difference. So a couple of years ago, uh, I was with my brother Wendell. We were standing together, chatting, Uh, And a young man walked up to us. Uh, I say young, he was younger than us anyway, about three or four years younger, a tall, broad-shouldered, a handsome young man, flowing hair, full beard, uh, deep, intense eyes. He uh, gave off, he exuded confidence and self-possession. He said, hi. (laughs) And then he asked, uh, he said, do you remember me? and we stammered a bit. "Um, uh, er, Sorry, uh, not sure. Clearly he knew us, and clearly he was enjoying the fact that we couldn't remember him, that we had no idea who this was. So he let us struggle awkwardly for a bit, and then he continued. He said, because I remember you, you made a huge difference in my life. Now, (laughs) Wendell and I looked at each other thinking, well, wouldn't we remember something so significant? Uh, this young man left us hanging a while longer, clearly enjoying our suspense. Then he told us his name and remembered how when we were all kids, his, brother, his mother uh, brought him a couple of times to visit us on our farm. Uh, it was a rough time in their family. His mom and dad were in the middle of a, a messy divorce. This boy had some behavior issues, and it was a particularly difficult time for him during, his, uh, during the family breakup. I remember, he told me and my brother, I remember you played with me. You taught me how to throw a frisbee. I'll never forget what you did for me. He shook our hands again and beamed gratitude in our direction and then he walked away. This young man who appeared so successful 30-some years uh, since we had last seen him, And when he walked away, Wendell and I looked at each other with raised eyebrows. Hmm, do you remember teaching him how to play frisbee? No, (laughs) me either. I kind of remember him coming to play vaguely. I think we thought he was a little dweeb. Well, I'll tell you, this young man's gratitude left us feeling humbled. And it just goes to show that with faith, a kind act that we might not even think about and can have great consequences. God uses humble and simple small acts to bring grace and beauty and joy in the world. God uses humble, simple folks like you and like me to make all the difference. Thanks be to God. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.
1: Okay. Our second reading today is from Romans 4, verses 1 through 5. Let us listen to the word of God. So what are we going to say? Are we going to find that Abraham is our ancestor ancestor on the basis of genealogy? Because if Abraham was made righteous because of his actions, he would have had a reason to brag, but not in front of God. What does the scripture say? Abraham had faith in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Workers' salaries aren't credited to them on the basis of an employer's grace, but rather on the basis of what they deserve. But faith is credited as righteousness to those who don't work because they have faith in God who makes the ungodly righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: So, Abraham was a cad. Abraham was a cad, and Sarah was your average run-of-the-mill gal. And God used them. God picked them, God chose them, and God used them. Not because they were great. God blessed them to be a blessing. Not because they did this or that. Not because they did anything. God chose them and God used them. God blessed them to be a blessing. And like rusty pipes, they become conduits for God's grace in the world. God had a plan. God needed a people, a person to start, a couple, a family. And God looked about and God saw Abram and Sarai and they became can, conduits, avenues for salvation history. Uh, this seems to be Paul's interpretation of Israel's election. Abram is chosen by God, chosen, uh, I'd like to point out, over his older brothers, uh, Nahor and Haran. Abraham is chosen, and through him, Isaac and Jacob, who would be renamed Israel, and through them, and their story, Israel becomes God's chosen people, prosperous and prodigious, uh, as plentiful as the sand on the shore or the stars in the sky. Abram is chosen and through Abram and Sarai, Israel is God's chosen nation. But chosen for what? Set apart for what purpose? To what end? Uh, Being chosen has not always worked out for the best for Israel. God's chosen have sometimes had a a target on their back. Think exile in the Old Testament. Uh, Think Roman occupation. Think Holocaust in more recent history. Being God's chosen people has not always worked out in Israel's favor, like a a favored child, you know, the one from whom much is expected, uh, much is asked, much is demanded. When God chose Noah and Noah's family earlier in the Torah, uh, you know, chose them to build the ark to save humanity, when Noah is chosen, uh, much is made of Noah's righteousness. God looked about and only one righteous person was found, and that was Noah. Well, Abram, eh, not so much. Uh, not so much is made of, Abraham's, of Abram's character, uh, or Abraham as he becomes. Uh, he is uh, somewhat mixed in his moral makeup, although so is Noah if you follow the story through to the end. Abraham is chosen by God and God promises to bless him, uh, to protect him and make his descendants as plentiful as rabbits. Rabbits. But that doesn't prevent Abram from engaging in deception and subterfuge to, precept, to protect himself and his own. So when Abram and Sarai uh, go down into Egypt, he pretends she is his sister and trades on her, her beauty for protection from the Pharaoh who finds her attractive, takes her into his house as consort, and, and it is only through God's intervention that the patriarch and matriarch of Israel are kept from a compromising situation. Well, Abram is chosen for a special relationship with God, and God walks closely with Abram, testing him and trying him. Sometimes Abraham shines, as when God asks of him great sacrifices, like leaving behind his home and striking into the unknown, or or offering up his only son, the apparent heir to the promise. Sometimes Abram shines, and other times he and Sarai respond much like you or I would. God tells them, he will, God will give them a child in their old age, and they, they laugh in God's face. <laughs> yeah, nice one, Lord. <laughs> Always the comedian. So Abram was a cad, and Sarai was some gal, and that, that is good news, because God can use the humblest of stuff the simplest of souls to bring grace uh, to the world, to shine God's light and show God's love and mercy to a world that needs light and love and grace, now and always. If God can use ordinary folk like Abram and Sarai, if God can base salvation history on gloriously flawed individuals, complex characters, well-rounded with strengths and glaring weaknesses both, well then... God can use me, and God can use you, too. God can use the imperfect persons around us to care and minister to you and me in our uh, need, and God can use you and me to minister to those around us in their times of need as well. God's light shines on Israel, and God's light continues to shine in the world, and we, like Israel, are witnesses to the light. We appreciate the light. We enjoy the light. But we are not meant to bask in it only. We are not merely sunbathers who sit on our beach chairs and soak up God's light, uh, soak up the rays. No, rather we shine the light. We reflect God's light and shine it into the dark shadows of our world where darkness persists. If God's mercy and love, God's holiness and grace flows freely, we are, just as Israel was, We are the pipes through which it flows. The pipes are not perfect. They may even be a little rusty, but the water, the water is life-giving nonetheless. God chooses Abram and promises to bless Abram and Sarai and the descendants who will come from them. God will make of them a great nation and make their name great. Uh, To what end? For what purpose does God choose Abram and bless Israel and pour out his grace on the church and on the world and on uh, you and on me? God bless them. God blesses us so that they and we might be a blessing to all nations. From humble roots comes the salvation of the world. From willing servants, far from perfect, willing to be used, willing to step out in faith, Willing to act and to walk with God comes the Savior Himself, God's own Son. You don't have to be perfect to be used by God, just as you don't need perfect people to minister to you in your time of need. And I don't know about you, but to me, that's good news, because I don't know a lot of perfect people, and I think I'd be left in the lurch in my time of need. I don't know anyone who would give a kidney for someone else, for example but I know some people who might give a couple of hours on a Saturday morning to help out a friend or a neighbor. I don't know anyone who would be willing to risk their life for me, but I know of some who might go out of their way to do a a favor for a friend or a brother or a sister. I don't know any who are uh, capable of grand salvific gestures, but I know of lots of folks, uh, you all, willing to do a little bit, their little bit, uh, give of what they have, however small and meager it may seem, and I know and serve a God who is willing and able to take that little bit and honor it and multiply it and use it." Uh, Linda Kaplan Thaler and Robin Koval wrote a book uh, back in 2009. Uh, Their book is entitled The Power of Small while little things make all the difference. Uh, And they wrote it, at the time they said, to counterbalance uh, a perspective, uh, to give some perspective to a world that is often uh, encouraged, at least it was in the 80s, to not sweat the small stuff. You remember that? Well, so in response they wrote the power of small And there's gotta be a fine balance in there somewhere that discerns which small stuff shouldn't be sweated and which, after all, can make all the difference in the world. Gilbert Gottfried, you remember him? Gilbert Gottfried, squeaky-voiced comedian, kind of squinty pinched face and squinty pinched voice to match. He was the voice of Iago in the Aladdin cartoon. Uh, Stand-up comedian, uh, I can't do impressions, otherwise I would try and give you his voice. You'll have to just picture it in your mind. Oh, he was also the voice of the Aflac duck. Aflac! Yeah. Um, he writes the foreword for their book, The Power of Small. Uh, Kaplan and Koval, uh, who wrote the book, they were uh, the heads of the um, advertising firm that came up with the Aflac uh, campaign, which is how Gilbert Gottfried got to know them. That's where the connection comes. Uh, but he writes a pretty good foreword to their book, and uh, I like it. So I'm going to share his, his uh, uh, foreword uh, with you uh, this morning. He begins, uh, Gottfried writes, he says, before we get going here, you probably want to know why I'm writing the foreword to this book. Well, first, I'm a small man. It would have made no sense for Shaquille O'Neal to write it, Second, and let's face it, he says, I'm funnier. In my line of work, small things make a big difference. If you're a half beat off, the joke goes over like pork rinds at a bar mitzvah. One off-color comment at a corporate gig and you'll find yourself on the unemployment line. And that's true in other professions as well. On the other hand, the right one-liner delivered at the right time can solve world hunger and bring peace to the Middle East, he says. Okay, maybe that's a stretch. But small things really do make an enormous difference. I know, he says. When Robin and Lynn's agency created the Aflac Duck, they turned my small talent for quacking into one of the most successful advertising campaigns in history. Uh, thinking small is even more important in times like these. He says, let's face it, between global warming, the financial meltdown, and twittering, we don't know what we're facing next. Now, Gilbert Godfrey wrote this forward in 2009. If he were writing today, he might say, let's face it, from disastrous derailments to pandemics to politics gone off the rails, we don't know what we're facing next. Of course, If Gilbert Gottfried were writing uh, this foreword today, it would be a miracle because he died last April. Either way, he says, let's face it. We don't know what we're facing next. I feel overwhelmed just trying to change a light bulb. Imagine trying to fix the world. So why not spend a bit more time on little gestures that can improve our lives and the lives of others? Write a note to thank someone for doing you a favor. Tell your kids you love them walk a senior citizen across the street. Then, when we're all foraging for food in the post-apocalyptic economy, that person you held the door for at the pharmacy may share some of their gruel with you. So read on, he says, find out why paying attention to the small, small things can pay major dividends. It's not a long book, just read one chapter at a time or one page at a time. After all, it's the small things that make a difference. Just ask any of my former girlfriends, he says. There's Gilbert Gottfried for you. All right, from from Gilbert Gottfried to Mother Teresa. I know, you might get whiplash. As Mother Teresa used to say, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. And sometimes God uses small things despite our lack of good intent. Uh, Take this story, for example, from a time when silver dollars were common and farmers worked their fields by hand. Uh, Two boys walked down a road that led through a field and the younger one uh, noticed a man working in the field of his farm. He had his